So I was in prayer last week and even in worship today, I let the Lord begin to lead me in my worship. He's the conductor. Like for example, we just taught a series on, we did a whole series on the fruit of the spirit. The Lord was starting to tell me to tell him vocally who he is. I said, Lord, you're so full of kindness. And God's, I heard the Lord say, because I'm kind. Lord, you're so full of gentleness. I heard the Lord say, because I'm gentle. I'm now communing with the Lord about his nature and who he is. I'm speaking his word back to him. And in turn, his words becoming me on the inside, becoming inside of me. Now imagine when I declare it over you, his word. And so what'll happen is, is I'll get in the spirit and you can all do this. You just have to practice. You have to practice. Try, listen, sit at his feet. Get into atmospheres of prayer and intercession. And so as I start to sing, it happens more when I sing, I begin to travel with my song. And a lot of times I travel with my prayers. What does that mean? That means that as I'm singing or as I'm praying, I see it go over the Harbor Bridge into Portland. I see it go into Port Aransas. I see it go to the west side. I see it go into your life because God starts to reveal who he wants me to pray for because there's so many people. I mean, if I put you all on my prayer list, I'd have a really long prayer list. I don't even make a prayer list anymore. I ask God to show me who he wants me to pray for. So many times God will show me the oppressed, the hurting. You know, within probably 300 yards of this church right now, there's child abuse happening. There's, there are low-income apartment housing right here on the other side of this parking lot. Many, many times in worship and in prayer, God will take me over there in the spirit and I'll see my prayers traveling through those apartments. Many times I'll be in prayer and God will bring my Aunt Virginia to mind and God will begin to show me her struggles that I don't even know about in the depth. Some I know, some I don't. But as I'm speaking and praying, I'm directing like an archer, shooting an arrow of prayer right into her heart. And now God's showing me what she needs to pray for because I don't even... Can you imagine? I don't even know what most people are going through. I got my own stuff to go through, right? But God knows you. God knows my uncle Steve. He knows my cousin John. He knows Colton better than I do. That's why in Romans 8, it says you don't even know how to pray as you ought to. But the Holy Spirit partners with you. Remember, he wants a partnership together with you. So the Holy Spirit begins to show me how to pray and what it is that I'm supposed to pray for. I think about so many of you and the needs that you have. And many times God drops your spirit, your name into my spirit. And that's why Paul said, when I heard about, in Ephesians, when I heard about your faith, I didn't cease to make mention of your name. So many times I'm just making mention of somebody's name. Many times I'm traveling and I'm going into different places that I've never even seen before. God takes me in the spirit to that place as I get into intercession. And we'll be talking about what it means to get in the spirit and to pray in the spirit more in this series. Long time ago, I had a dream. Now, I used to have this phenomena that happened all the time when I would wake up in the morning. Kids kind of wrecked that for me for a little while. But I used to have this thing happen when I'd wake up in the morning, I would hear worship music in my room, but, not, but nothing was playing. And I would be just coming out of sleep I'd be in and out of sleep in the morning. I'm kind of waking up, but I'm hearing worship music play in my room. And I know this was the song from heaven happening in my room. And this day, I could hear worship music, 
and I dozed back off and I traveled in the spirit in my dream to a resort town on some coastal community somewhere. I don't know where it was. All I know is it was a resort town. I could see the beach. I could see a pool. And I'm standing next to the pool. And I knew in the dream that I was still sleeping in the bed. So I was in two places. A lucid. This is called a lucid dream, all right? A lucid dream is where you actually can manipulate the events or change the course of the events in the dream. Have you ever been dreaming and you woke up and then you went back to sleep and you were right back in the dream? And, and you knew I, I could, you could actually change the course of the dream in the dream? That's called a lucid dream. And so in this dream, it was odd because I knew I was at home in bed while I was also somewhere else in the dream. And I knew that I had a message for somebody that it was a father and that he desperately needed to give his life to the Lord, that his life was on the, on the edge of death. And here he was on vacation. And I'm sitting in the pool. We make eye contact, and this guy sees me and takes off running. And I start running after him, and I'm like, wait, stop, stop, stop. You don't understand. I'm actually at home sleeping in my bed. And I bet he just ran faster when he heard that, right? I'm sure he totally freaked him out. This is what happened to me. And I'm running after the guy, running, telling him, you don't understand, I'm two places at one time. I'm at home in bed, but I have a message for you. Finally, I caught the guy, turned him around, and he had sheer terror in his face, sheer terror of fear in his face. And I pleaded with him in the dream to give his life to the Lord and kept telling him how I'm home sleeping at the same time. I told that dream to John Paul Jackson, who has passed away, but was the forerunner, the pioneer of, of dream interpretation in the church. I just absolutely love him so much. He said, I'd never heard anybody say that they were, knew that they were home sleeping in bed while they were somewhere else. This is the mindset of intercession. This is the mindset of what it means to step in the gap. Many times when I'm in prayer, God will show me the gap that needs to be stepped into. And I'll hear him say, step in the gap, step in the gap, step in the gap, take the step in the gap. And that's what I'm gonna teach you about this morning, stepping into the gap. We're gonna start looking at Ezekiel. Now in Ezekiel, the Israelites were in captivity and there were a bunch of false prophets that were claiming to have the word of the Lord, hoping that it would come to pass. And God's like, you're in delusion. And here's what he says to those false prophets, but it's applicable to us today as well. Ezekiel chapter 13, verse five. You have not gone up into the gaps to build a wall for the house of Israel to stand in battle on the day of the Lord. Now, what is a gap? A gap is a breach in the wall. A gap is a place where the enemy has easy access. There's no defense there. A gap is a place that the oppressor, the thief, the abuser can sneak in to rob, steal, kill, and destroy. And the Lord is saying that we have to go up into the gap to build the wall so that when warfare comes to your doorstep, and I promise you it will, I promise you it will. If it hasn't already, I'm telling you, don't think for a second that more hardship, suffering, and persecution is not coming in the world around us, and it will come to our doorstep. But if the wall is built, if the gap is repaired, guess what will happen when it comes? You'll be able to stand in the day of battle. You'll be able to stand in the day of battle. You know, there's a scripture in the Bible that says, a man without discipline is like a city with broken down walls. Do you know that? Here's another way to say it. 
A man or woman without spiritual discipline in your life is a, like a person that leaves their front door open all night long for anyone to come in. Now, if you live in Corpus Christi, you would be a fool to leave your front door open every night, especially here in the bluff. You never know who's wandering around at night in the bluff. There's, I see stuff every night of people wandering around, stealing stuff, trying to break into people's houses two, three o'clock in the morning. Drugs, addiction, methed out, cocaine high, and they just show up at your doorstep at three o'clock in the morning, banging on the door. Now imagine if the door was open. You know, let's take it a step further. Some of us are so undisciplined, we can literally take the door off the hinges and set it to the side for anyone and anything to come in. And this is why spiritual discipline is so important. And this is even more so why prayer and intercession is so important. Because if we don't repair these walls and stand in the gap, anyone and anything can come in. Do you understand that? And the battle is coming to our doorstep. Ezekiel 22, 29 through 30. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppressed the stranger. Does that sound like the world around us today? Do you think this is happening in your neighborhood? Yes, the answer is yes, okay? Verse 30, so I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one, and that's a tragedy. So God is actually looking for people to rise up and to st step and stand in the gap and repair the wall. Now there's two different dynamics to that. So let's say this together. Say, there's a standing and there's a building. The building is the action. The building is the action. We need builders. We need workers. We need people to go rescue the fathers. We have the Blodgetts and the Cothams who lead Majesty Outdoors, which is a ministry to rescue the fatherless. And they have chosen to expose themselves and stand in the gap to rescue them. We have Fabian and Marlene Villarreal who has Noonday Ministries, which is a ministry to rescue women out of human trafficking, prostitution, modern-day slavery. So she goes places many of us will never go. She goes down by the old Memorial Hospital, down into the, into the hood, where she'll go walk at two or three in the morning. You think she needs people praying for her? So you have the workers that are doing the work. You can have intercessors that don't actually build the wall, but they stand in the gap but you can't have people that are building the wall that don't pray. She still has to pray. And so we have people that are stepping into the position to resolve the issues. And now I'm gonna teach you a little bit more about that and how I exposed myself to fight for children in this community. So what is a gap? A gap is a breach in the wall. There's a breach in the wall. It's a place of easy access for the thief and the oppressor. It's a place that was once built strong, but over time, through warfare and neglect, the gap stayed open and the people remained oppressed. You know, sometimes when you're going through hardship over a long period of time, you just get tired. Sometimes you find yourself just wore out. Sometimes you find yourself feeling like, man, I don't have any more to give inside. You ever feel that way? And what happens is over the course of time, the gap, the wall gets let, the, the, the strength gets let down and your guard lets, gets let down and suddenly the enemy finds a crack into your home, into your life and into your family. And so this word from the Lord in Ezekiel is three things. It's a warning, it's a revealing, and it's a lament. Three things. Let's first talk about the warning. It's a warning that the continued oppression of the people would bring destruction upon the land. 
If they continue, if we continue to allow oppression around us and do nothing about it, our land is going to be destroyed. It's a warning that we better do something about it or we're actually complicit with the, su- with the suspect. You can't just sit back and do nothing about it. If you do, you're actually complicit to the issue. It's a warning to rebuild walls and stand in the open gaping gaps of our society on behalf of the land. And finally, it's a warning that without repaired gaps, when the war comes to your doorstep, you won't be able to stand in the day of battle. So this is proactive prayer. This is us being in constant communion with the Lord, praying without ceasing so that no matter what comes my way, I'm always ready, I'm always aware, I'm always spiritually attuned and diligent to what God wants to do. So you're never caught off guard. The next thing is that what God said to the nation of Israel through Ezekiel, it was a revealing. What did it reveal? It revealed his heart. God loves people. And God wants to rescue people. He wants to rescue the oppressed. He wants to help the stranger. He wants to help the hurting and the broken. He wants to do whatever he can do, but he chooses to do it through us. So it was a call. He can do it without you, but he chooses to do it, do it with you. So it's a revealing of the fact that God wants to partnership together with you. He wants to partner with you. It's a revealing of the issue and a call for a solution. Here's the issue. People are being oppressed. The stranger, there's thieves, robbery, prostitution, child abuse, pedophiles, drug addiction, drug dealers. It's just tragedy what's happening. You know, lately, because we're gonna be really launching a ministry to fight human trafficking and modern day slavery, and you guys know I have a passion to rescue people out of pornography and to rescue girls that have gotten human trafficked into prostitution and pornography. It's a passion of mine. You know, I see these videos on YouTube of people driving around in LA and Houston. In fact, Houston is the epicenter of human trafficking and uh, modern day slavery of women, catching, getting them at 14 years old and these Johns and these pimps getting these girls to think that these guys love them and they're their boyfriends and it's all they've known, yet they're selling them on the street while they take their money. If I know about it, if I discover it, you better believe I'm gonna do something about it. Those girls need to be rescued. We need the Marlenes of this world. We need you. We need people to fight for the fatherless and the single moms and those that are oppressed and the children that don't have families. And so it's a revelation of the issue. God says, here's the issue. There's no one filling the gap and this is a problem. Next, it's a lament. It's a passionate expression of grief, sorrow, regret, and disappointment. It hurts so bad to see what's happening in the world around us that I'm full of grief and sorrow for their pain. Now, that's contradictory to our society today. We turn away from the hardship. We turn away from the pain. We turn away from the suffering. But God calls those of us that are strong to bear the burdens of those that are weak. God God calls his church to fight the oppressor. He calls his church to fight against the demonic deception of the enemy wreaking havoc in this land. And so it's a lament. It hurts my heart so bad that it moves me to action. And you can't turn away from it. You can't turn a blind eye to it. You can't turn a blind eye to the destruction of abortion and what it's done to people's lives. 
and how there's so many women that are in this church that are healed right now that have had abortions. So many, they found forgiveness and healing. They've been able to tell their stories. We have to help them. We have to help people that are in their darkest places. So it's a lament. Most Christians want the wedding song, not the funeral dirge, which is a picture of mourning and grief for the dead. It's beating your chest. You know, in the Old Testament, they would tear their clothes and then they'd put on sackcloth. And back in those days, you couldn't just go to Marshalls or TJ Maxx or Walmart. Clothes were in high demand and a precious commodity. So whenever you would see somebody tear their clothes in the ancient Near East, what you would see is a picture of, I feel so much grief that I'm willing to rip my clothes. And then in the book of Joel, God says, actually, I don't want you to rip your, rend your garment. I want you to rend your heart. How can you not see the hurting and the pain and want to do something? You have to do something about it. Matthew eleven sixteen and 17. But to what shall I liken this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We mourned to you and you didn't lament. You know who a picture of the funeral dirge was? John the Baptist. You know a picture of the wedding song is? Jesus Christ. But without John the Baptist first preparing the way, the baptism of the repentance of sins or the remission of your sins, you can't step into the fullness that Jesus has for you. And so it's this understanding that you need both. You need the wedding song and you need the funeral dirge. Now imagine Jesus being the master conductor and you actually become the song to the people. But notice, they didn't want to dance. They didn't want to cry. But see, I want to dance and cry. Play me a funeral dirge because weeping moves me to action. I love to dance, but it's not all about the wedding song. It's also about the brokenness of, and understanding people are dying. But in our society, it's like, oh, that's, don't, just preach me good news and make me feel good. Don't challenge me to expose myself and do something and call me to action. That's a dumbed down church. That's a church with no power and no vitality and no force. Proper prayer starts with understanding both what's happening and what's coming. We have to have insight to what's happening and to what's coming. Without a burden, our prayers will be lackluster at best. There'll be no vitality, no force, and no conviction. We'll be uninspired, and our prayers will be uninspiring, right? James 5.16 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. When we pray with effective fervency that comes from a burden, we'll see things change we'll see things change. This message is about stepping into the gap, how prayer and intercession is both the first line of sacrifice to bring salvation to the people as well as the defense against the destruction of our land from God. It's about God's answer to the gaping gaps and the broken down walls around us. And that first answer comes through prayer and intercession. We have to see the gap and be willing to step into it once you see it. So what does it mean to stand in the gap? To stand in the gap means to expose yourself for the protection of something on behalf of others. It's taking the place of a fallen defender, a supporter, the oppressed, the helpless, or the voiceless. So recently, I stepped into a gap, and I exposed myself. It had been a lot easier just be a nice church and 
not take a stand against anything in the community and not get my name out there, but you can't do that. True intercessors are willing to stand in the gap and take the place and fight and take the hits for those that can't or are so beat down that they're about to die. And it happened in the context of these pornographic books that are in our school system. There's books that right now are in the elementary school libraries that children should never see. There's pictures of guy on guy, girl on girl, cartoon images today in the school libraries. We have the books. Most of the teachers haven't even seen them. So what happened was I partnered together with CCDF, County Citizens Defending Freedom, uh, and a bunch of pastors. We went to the Student Health Action Committee meeting, the SHAC meeting, because they were looking to implement a sex ed curriculum that children should never be a part. I can't even publicly tell you right now with children in here what is there. It's literally appalling. And so we got, thanks to us reading some of that and going to that meeting, that sex ed curriculum was struck down. And once we started exposing these books, all of a sudden there was a section of our community that rose up against me. And they called me out by name and I was written up about in the front page of our local newspaper by name. And this organization called for a boycott against my business by name. Coffee Waves, Rock City. And then they orchestrated a protest here on our property. Now we own this property, so we can tell anybody at any time to leave, anytime. But instead of telling them to leave, we, had, we went out, thank God for a group of us, set up a prayer tent we called Chick-fil-A and I made a bunch of coffee and then Marlene walked around and said, hey, have you seen these books? Would you like some coffee and a sandwich? Can we pray for you? See, that's exposing yourself. That's stepping into the gap and taking the hit for the voiceless and the oppressed. Do you understand? Now, what happens when you start to expose yourself is the lies of the enemy. It's like, oh, I know where you live. Oh, I know where you go to church. Fear, fear, fear. Look, there's no fear. When you know that you're representing the heart of God and when you have the mandate from heaven to fight, to step into the gap, you're biblically commanded to stand in the gap. Okay? Biblically commanded. Now, it all has to first start with prayer. It has to start with intercession. Because what happens in intercession is you get God's heart for the situation. And I'm going to show that to you. You guys doing okay? I know this is a heavy topic, and I know for some of you, it's like, man, this is, I'm hurt. I can barely make it paycheck to paycheck. You're struggling, addiction. I know who this church reaches. But I also know if we don't infuse in the DNA of prayer and intercession into this house, we'll never fully be able to help the people. We'll never be able to help you the way that you need. And for some, it's like, man, this, this message is not relevant. I'm in a tight, miserable spot. I'm sick as can be. I need healing. Look, we're gonna pray for healing and all that. But if we don't have intercession backing us up, and if this church doesn't become a house of prayer, we'll become a den of thieves. That's your choice. If the church is not a house of prayer, it's a den of thieves. It's one or the other. So standing in the gap is exposing yourself and taking the place. I'll take the place. You have to, because guess who took your place? Who took your place, Beloved. Jesus did. So everything must first be fought through prayer. 
which is simply communing and talking with God about what and how he wants you to pray. In warfare, it would be first getting your orders from the general who has the war plan and knows how the battle should be executed. By first praying, you begin to get the full picture of the situation at hand, and in turn, you know how and what you're to pray for, especially since God already knows more and sees more than you'll ever know. So intercession, a huge component of prayer and intercession is getting the battle strategy from God about what he sees and what he says and coming to, into agreement with him. Because if you're not an intercession and communing with the Lord, you're gonna take matters into your own hand your own way. This is the heart of intercession. God doesn't need you, he chooses you because he loves you and desires partnership with you. It's a fascinating thought to think that the God of the universe who created everything wants to partner with little old you and me. Isn't it amazing to think about that God desires partnership? He could do it without you, but he chooses to do it together with you. So what is intercession? A lot of people don't know what this word means, and it's not just a week off from your school every now and then. Intercession is something much bigger and much different. Intercession is the action of intervening on behalf of another. It means to entreat the Lord. It's to earnestly ask, plead, and pray, and supplicate for the Lord to move on behalf of the person or the situation. It's, now, this is the neat definition. It's to go and have a meeting with the Lord for the purpose of conversation, consultation, and supplication. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. Every other priest died except one. Only one high priest ever, ever lives forever. He, Jesus, because he continues forever, he has an unchangeable priesthood. So Jesus never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why God wants you to be predictable. Predictable in your love, predictable in your care, predictable in your attention. You're not a hothead. You're not a crazy person. You don't spout off. You don't combust. You don't, your kids never have to worry about how you're going to be today when you come home. You're not a crazy alcoholic. You're steady. You're the same. You're consistent. You're a man after God's heart. You're like Jesus. He's unchangeable. He's always there. He'll never fail you. He always loves you. He's always caring. He's always giving. And he's a priest. Therefore, he's also able to save the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to do what? Make intercession to make intercession. So God's always, always, always praying for you, standing in the gap, mediating on your behalf. He lives to make intercession, which ultimately means he can save anyone. There's no one that God can't save. He can save the worst of the worst of the worst. Anybody that you can think about that's bad, I don't care who you think it is, God can save them. And he's praying and he's interceding on their behalf. So he's always living to make intercession, which means he wants us to partner with him together. We're his bride, we're his beloved. He wants to do it together with us. So if he's always doing it, we should always be doing it. The eternal, unchanging bridegroom king and priest continues forever. It's amazing to think about that he never stops. Those that stand in the gap see the need and they do something about it, both in prayer and then in action. In some cases, one will pray and another will take action. 
We have a lot of people that are taking action in this church. And so many of you have yet to step into the ministry and the call that God has for you. But it all starts with prayer. Because in prayer, God begins to show it to you. You begin to get the blueprints from heaven. You begin to get the downloads. And then suddenly something awakens and you go, I need to do something about that. So first I stand in the gap. I step into the gap in prayer. And then God moves me to action to start Rock City Church. We saw the shopping center. The guy that was selling the shopping center says, this is the spot for you. I said, no way, we wanna be in a shopping center. We drove by, we sat in the parking lot and I prayed. And as I was there in the parking lot praying, I got a download and I could see it in the spirit. I could see what it was becoming in advance because I communed with God and I had the word of the Lord to take action. There's always the stepping into the gap and then the building of the wall. We have wall builders in this church and we have gap fillers in this church. But this church always, always, always has to be a house of prayer where night and day prayer and people that are praying, not just in a prayer meeting, but in your car, in your shower, at your work, wherever it is, we can always be communing and declaring with the Lord. Now, one of the things I'm gonna teach you later in this series is what declaring means. What does it mean to declare and come and agree? We're gonna talk more about how to intercede at another time. If we're gonna build a house of prayer and a house for his name, at Rock City, it has to be a prayer for all people, all ministries, and all nations. Now, let me show you this real quick. I want to show you this in, in regards to partnership with God. Genesis 18, 16 through 33. Now, we're not going to read this. I'm just going to summarize it for you, but you can go read it at another time. But basically, this is the story where God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And this is the story where God shows up to Abraham as three men under the terebinth. He's hanging out under the terebinth tree. Here comes the Lord as three men. And basically, the premise of the story is the outcry of the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah had reached up to God. And God was coming down to see if it was true. Now, do you think God already knew if it was true or not? Remember, everything's a test in everything he does. This was a test for Abraham. So God shows up, and he's determined he's going to go see. And he says, I'm going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But then he says, I can't hide it from Abraham. Because he's going to, he's, I made a promise to Abraham. I'm paraphrasing the story for you. Because it's a lot to read. And I know you guys are kind of at your max in some ways. Some of you aren't. But you got to try. I got to get this out. Because this is going to be a, a, a foundational word for this future of this church. God says, can I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Because he has a promise on him and he needs to be a part of it. And he's, I need to see, is he really gonna have my heart? It doesn't say that, but I know that's part of it. So what happens is, is he tells Abraham what he's about to do. The outcries come up against my ears. I summarize it here. There's grave sin, grave sin, there's an outcry against the righteousness of God and who he is and the, the abuse and the oppression. It got his attention, which led him to sharing with Abraham what he was about to do, which did something to Abraham. You know what Abraham didn't do? Wipe him out, God. Just, just wipe him out. Like um, Jonah did. He didn't say, just take him out. He said, but Lord, he reasoned with God. 
He said, Lord, your name's on the line. You would never destroy the righteous with the wicked. He starts to tell God what he would never do. Can you imagine telling God what he would never do? Because it's a test of your heart. And so what does Abraham do? God, if there's 50 righteous there, would you save them? Lord's like, okay, yeah. Okay, but what if there's just five less, just 45? Will you save them? Oh, oh, Lord says, yeah, I'll save them if there's 45. What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? If there was one right, think about the, the magnitude of this story. One righteous person in Sodom and Gomorrah that would have saved the whole city. Maybe there was, I don't know, 100,000 people doing the worst of the worst of the worst. Incest, raping children, the most horrible things you could ever see. And God says, all I need is one righteous. And I'd save the city. Abraham pleaded with God to save that city. Now I know his nephew was there and I understand that he had loved ones there that needed to get out. But the premise is, is God, save this city. Please God. And he's interceding. Now, this test would be an ultimate test for other things that were going to come in Abraham's life. But I want to talk with you about this one scripture right here in Isaiah 1.18. The Lord says, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. They are like, though they are like red crimson, they shall be as wool. So what does it mean to reason with God? It's, it's a fascinating thought to think that I would reason with God or that you could reason with God. But do you know that God wants to reason with you? Because you know what reasoning requires? A conversation. Do you understand? Some of our, some of our prayer lives is, well, God's gonna do whatever he's gonna do, and I'm just gonna sit back and let God do whatever he's gonna do. No, no, no. He wants to partner together with you. So he says, here's why partnership and agreement is so important, because in the conversation, you discover his heart and why he's absolutely pure, righteous, and just because God has a way of showing you who he is so that when the judgment comes, you're not blaming God, but actually you understand why God does what he does. To reason with God is to present a case and hope to persuade with rationale. It's finding an answer to a problem by considering various possible solutions. It's to decide to judge together. It's to examine a cause or case that leads to the justification of the verdict, whether bringing leniency or conviction. It's revealing the heart of God to the heart of man. At the core of reasoning is the power of agreement. We got to come into agreement. I don't want you to just do what I tell you to do. My kids, I explain to them why we tell them to do the things that they do or why there's consequences or why there's discipline. I don't just spank my kids and never tell them why. I don't tell my kids to do something without giving them insight and understanding and explanation so that they can have knowledge and wisdom about why they're doing what they're doing. And that's the way it is with reasoning with God. And so one of the ways that I reason with God the most is I declare who he is over a situation. That's me coming to agreement with him. Lord, I know you love them. I know what they're doing is wicked or horrible or hurting someone else, but God, you love them and you died for them. He's, and the Lord's like, I already know everything you're telling me, but I love it when you tell it back to me because now I'm coming into agreement with you so that my will can be done on earth together with you. 
This is the power of prayer. Are you understanding? God wants to do it together with you. So this is the power of an agreement, agreeing with who God is, agreeing with his word, uh, gaining understanding as to why he does or doesn't move in a matter. Agreement requires conversation, insight, wisdom, and knowledge, all of which God wants to reveal to you. He already knows what he wants to do, and he has his reasons for it. But everything is a test. I'll give you an example. I have a really good friend. Married for 25 years, three kids. For those 25 years, he was having affairs. After his last kid left the home, he filed for divorce. I was so upset. This guy is a community leader. I loved him so much. So many people look up to him. Business owner, wonderful, wonderful friend. I was so mad at him. I was so mad at him. And so I started praying for him. And when I was in prayer, God showed me him in an orphanage at eight years old. And he said to me, he's never left the orphanage. And I started crying. Because I realized I know what an orphan spirit does. And I started to see him as a child that he'd never received the healing from abandonment, neglect, and rejection. And now when I was angry and mad at him, I I had compassion in my heart for him because God revealed to me in the spirit why he was doing what he was doing so that now I could pray more accurately. Moses would first learn intercession and sovereignty, the sovereignty of God in dealing with Pharaoh. Now God already knew that Pharaoh would not let God's people go. God already knew that Pharaoh was a liar, a harsh oppressor, that he was extremely wicked. God already knew that Pharaoh wouldn't actually do what he said he would do. God could have easily turned Pharaoh's heart to let the Israelites go. But instead, he would, it would be an opportunity to demonstrate his love and power to Moses and his people. Now, Moses would need this training ground for the future in dealing with the Israelites in the desert. Exodus 8, 8. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, and treat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me. This is during the plagues of frogs from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And verse 13, the Lord did according to the word of Moses. The same thing happened with the flies. Basically, Pharaoh would say, God, or say to Moses, go pray for me. And if you'll pray for me and you'll take away the flies, I'll let the people go. Moses would go out, pray to God, lift his hands to the Lord, and God would stop the plague. Can you imagine? Why was God doing this? To teach Moses about partnership because guess who his next great test of intercession would be? The Israelites in the wilderness complaining time after time again. I love this story right here. It's in Numbers 14. And in Numbers 14, the 12 spies had come back from the promised land and 10 of them said, we'll never be able to take the promised land. We're grasshoppers in our own sight. We'll never be able to defeat the giants. And so when they came back and gave the report, all of Israel and their children wept bitterly against the Lord and against Moses. One of the fastest ways to tick God off is to lead your kids astray and to get them to weep bitterly against God. So when all Israel cried and wept at the report of the spies, when they complained against God and their leaders, Moses and Aaron, when they would have 
preferred to die in captivity after seeing the miracles of God, when they said, let us go back to Egypt, when they said, let us select another leader for us and head back to Egypt. Look at Numbers 14, four and six. It says, they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes. So what does Moses and Aaron do? They fall on their face. What does uh, Joseph and Caleb do? They tear their clothes. It's a response of humility and intercession before God. And in turn, Moses would cry out on behalf of the people and he would declare God's word back to him. And then what did God say? I'm not gonna, I'm gonna forgive them. Right here, Numbers 14, 20. Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. Mark eleven seventeen. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you made it a den of thieves. God wants his house to be a house of prayer. When Solomon dedicated the temple, he said that the temple would be a place where when people were oppressed by their enemies, sinned against one another, no rain came to the land, all these lists that they could come to the house of the Lord and pray and God would heal, hear, forgive, and set them back into their promise. God's making this house a house of prayer. God's making this place a place where people can come and find forgiveness and healing and the power of God in everything that they do. God's making this a place where people can come and intercede on behalf of those that are hurting and oppressed. God's making this house a place where people can be sent out and covered in prayer. All right, let's all stand. All right, now close your eyes for just a moment. And what I want you to do is I want you to just let the Lord begin to speak to you about what it is that he would want you to pray for. Just close your eyes for a moment. Lord, I ask that you would begin to reveal to everyone here where it is that they're to pray, what they're to pray for. I pray that you'd awaken their hearts to see in the Spirit that, Lord, we wouldn't be lazy or distracted, but that we'd step into the gap and pray on behalf of the oppressed, that we would build the walls, and that, Lord, we would be on the front lines to protect those that have no voice, that can't fight for themselves, that are hurting and oppressed. I pray, God, that you would make Rock City Church a true house of prayer. I pray that night and day prayer would come out of this place. And I pray, God, that people would come here and find healing and forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that they would find mercy and grace, that they'd find you and that they'd know you. I pray, God, that this would be a place where people will not be afraid to expose themselves and step into the gap 
and build the walls to fight for the fatherless, the widow, the oppressed. I thank you so much, Lord, for using us. And I pray for the marriages and the children and the families of this house. I pray, Lord, that they would come to know you, see you, hear you, and feel you, and find you. I pray, God, that we would be a church of one thing that digs deep in the secret place, spends time with you, knows your word, partners together with you, the reasons with you in constant conversation. I'd like to ask my prayer partners and my ministry team to come up. And today, if you are hurting, broken, if you've wandered away from the Lord, if your marriage is on the rocks, if you've been having strife in your home, if you felt like you're alone, we want to pray for you. If you have any sickness in your body, we want to pray for you. If you're struggling in any way, we're here to stand together with you. We have our prayer partners, our prayer team to stand with you. And I want to invite you to come up for prayer today. If you need healing in your body, let somebody pray with you. If you're hurting, let somebody pray with you. If you're struggling, let somebody pray with you. It's the power of agreement. You don't have to go it alone. God puts you in a family, and God calls us to pray for one another. So, Lord, I thank you so much that we're going to step into the gap and we're going to rebuild the walls. Rebuild them in our lives, in our homes, our families. Rebuild them, Lord. And I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your healing power and your help when we need it the most. Thank you, Lord, that as we pray together, hearts and lives will be touched and changed and transformed by you and your power. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.